Okay, so I'm here with Martin Mulligan from VUCA Treasury. Um, VUCA is authorised by the FCA to provide advice to businesses on FX and interest rate exposures. Their insights and advice provide their clients with increased visibility over future cash flows, improved financial performance and, in this higher rates environment, often access more debt. So on Valentine's Day last year, we had a podcast to discuss the FX markets. Before the end of the month, the Johnson government had formally announced that COVID restrictions, including self-isolation, would finally cease and Russia then invaded Ukraine. A lot has changed over the past 12 months, Ray. Hi, Esther, and thanks for inviting me back. And I'm glad to see that um, having allocated a certain amount of time on Valentine's Day last year to to spend with me that hasn't left you any (laughs) permanent scarring. So uh, many thanks for for, for the repeat invitation. Yeah, look, it's been a crazy 12 months. Um, You know, it's it's really hard to believe that, you know, within a couple of weeks of our podcast, um, that COVID restrictions were were finally released. In fact, I, I find it difficult to believe that it was as recent as 12 months ago. It yeah, seems, seems like yeah, uh, totally. it, was, it was much, much longer. Um, but it, it's also you know, difficult to believe that you know, within two weeks that Putin sent his troops across the border into Ukraine and unleashed you know, the biggest humanitarian crisis in, in Europe since World War II at the cost of you know, so many lives that have been disrupted and displaced throughout Europe and, and lost, unfortunately. I think the, the, I've read something during the week that you know, there's up to 300,000 people, you know, soldiers, civilians who, who've been killed. It's, it's, it's an absolute disaster on, on, on many, many levels. Um, it's also you know, been a big issue. It's, it hasn't just been a regional issue. It's been a big issue globally, you know, given Russia and Ukraine's position in terms of providing commodities to, to the world. So oil and gas in, in Russia's case and grains like wheat and um, some oils like sunflower um, in Ukraine's case. Um, so the ramifications have been global. Um, when we last spoke 12 months ago, inflation was already becoming a bit of an issue. Um, it had risen to 5% um, due to supply issues following the simultaneous reopening of, of economies after, um, after COVID. Um, the Bank of England had just started to raise interest rates and was the first central bank to start doing that. Um, interest rates were at 10 basis points. The base rate was at 10 basis points um, in December. When we met in February, it was at 50 basis points, half percent. The pound was trading at $1.35 against the US dollar and €1.20. Flash forward 12 months and you know, the base rate is at 4%, which is its highest level in 14 years. The pound is then at 120 against the dollar, which is a fall of about 10%. And you know, at one point in September after Trustonomics, um, it looked like it was going to break below parity. Um, while inflation looks like it's peaked, um, it's still above 10%. So look, this it's been a massive year, lots of change. And even from the point of view of prime ministers, we've had three in the in the past 12 months and Rishi Sunak is looking a little bit uncomfortable at the moment yeah. as we speak with the Northern Ireland Protocol rearing its head again. So plenty of change, I'm sure, coming through in the next 12 months also. Yeah, for sure. So um, so do you think that COVID and Ukraine will continue to be the primary factors affecting the markets over the next 12 months in the same way? China is the second biggest economy in the world. And with China finally reopening after three years of lockdown and the path to resolution of the war in Ukraine still very much unclear, both factors still have the ability to be wild cards. That said, in the short term, they're not as important for foreign exchange and, and interest rate markets. A range of commodity prices from oil and gas to wheat are at a fraction of the levels they were trading at during the summer months. In gas's case, European gas prices are at 18-month low, so they're much lower now than they were on the eve of the Russian invasion. Over the medium to long term, you know, both factors can still have a material impact on, on growth and inflation. There will be a, a boost to growth eventually from 
the rebuilding of the Ukraine. And I saw one estimate in, in the New York Times recently where the cost to rebuild the physical infrastructure alone will, could be anywhere between 150 and 750 billion. Um, they're also seeing, you know, both from COVID and from, from Ukraine, uh, a move towards nearshoring near supply chains, um, you know, partly due to issues around COVID, but also because of those sort of risks around security of, of both energy and food that we've seen, particularly with energy um, in, in Europe over the last six to 12 months. I think, you know, both factors, if they do provide a boost to growth, um, you could see, well, you could well see that inflation could find an equilibrium level at a much higher level than they would have otherwise, and that could inflate, influence both um, inflation and growth over the medium to long term. The main economic data item that markets are watching at the moment is inflation, and both its current level and shifts in expectations around how quickly it can return to central banks like the Bank of England and the ECB's 2% targets. Three-year fixed rates started out 2023 at 4.3%, fell to 3.5% at the start of February and are back up at 4.1% now. So these large reversals in rates, big moves down, big moves up, um, over just a sh such a short period of time reflect the lack of clarity there is around the path for both growth and inflation at the moment. Sure. So as a business that specialises in managing interest rate risk, what have you noticed over the past year as rates have gone from close to zero right to 4%? Well, for the most part, clients that we speak to don't have a dedicated treasurer. So that internal subject matter expert who's looking constantly at cash management and, and financial risks. So what we found is that many SMEs and mid-cap firms were ill-prepared um, because they didn't have a framework to manage interest rate risk. So firms were reacting to events instead of getting ahead of them. You know, this has meant that many firms weren't able to respond quickly enough to the rapid changes in the interest rate environment. You know, anecdotally, we noticed a spike in hits over our website following key events like the August Monetary Policy Meeting, the Bank of England raised interest rates by a large of 50 basis points rather than a typical 25 basis point move. And we also saw a spike in activity at the end of September following the Quartang mini-budget. The Bank of England has already delivered five interest rates before the August meeting, so there's plenty of opportunity for firms to make an informed decision around managing their interest rate risks if they had that framework in place. Unfortunately, in many cases, they didn't. Um, what we've also noticed is that interest rate risk management is now a strategic concern. For over 10 years, floating rates were, were low and stable. Um, in the UK, they ranged between 10 basis points and 1% since 2009. So previously, low and stable was the mantra. Now it's higher for longer from, from the central bank. So the increased cost of borrowing from higher rates is impacting the amount of debt firms can service and the amount of debt that lenders are prepared to extend. So how, funds, how, sorry, how firms fund themselves and allocate capital is now a real issue, especially in interest rate sensitive sectors like real estate or leveraged debt markets. We've also found there's been a very limited understanding of, of interest rate hedging. On a number of transactions where we've been mandated to arrange the interest rate hedge, we found that many borrowers and debt advisors have had minimal understanding of many aspects of hedging interest rate risk. On occasion, we've even seen that lenders weren't familiar with the relevance or purpose of some components in the hedging clause of facility agreements that they've been issuing to, to, to their clients. Ultimately, it's been a massive learning curve. So anybody who joined the workforce after 2008 would not have considered managing interest rate risk as a priority. They wouldn't have seen interest rate rises. So given that central banks now have you know, tightened interest rates more aggressively than any other time in over 40 years, it's been a steep learning curve for all parties. So as a business, we spend a lot of time educating clients on the finer aspects of managing interest rate risk so they can make those informed decisions. We've also noticed that banks at the time 
um, 12 months ago, were happy to get any sort of an industry deal on the books. So, you know, they were very accommodating. What we've seen over the last 12 months is that some banks are only happy to provide interest rate caps um, to their own clients. Um, they may have raised the minimum deal size from you know below 10 million, certainly between 10 and 20 million to something maybe north of 50 million for many of the larger investment banks, and that the pricing has widened as well. So as demand has risen, the price has gone up. So you know the price of buying a cap now in terms of the, the spread that the banks will charge is maybe two, three x the level that it was at you know 12 months ago. So there's been quite a few changes. Sure, sure. What kind of issues have high interest rates presented for clients, have you found? Um, well, the sharp rise in interest rates has affected companies in different ways. Um, you know, it'll affect, it's an opportunity for, for clients who are cash rich, and it, it's a risk for, for companies that need to borrow. Um, for companies that need to borrow, it's, you know, it, it's, it's really important how they allocate capital now that the era of free money is over. So I think a, what, what I found quite interesting just before you know, we set up the, the, uh, the podcast today is that there's been a couple of articles in the newspapers over the last week or so, which I think are, are really relevant. So from a borrowing point of view, there's an article um, which I've seen in the Times, but also in other news sources as well, about Morrison's, the supermarket chain, um, talking about how their interest rate expense, which is 375 million, is over two times the cash flow they've got available for debt service and will remain so for the next couple of years, which is a big issue for them. Um, we're seeing you know, debt serviceability obviously being an issue, as, a, as I've just spoken about there. What we're also seeing is that there's covenant breaches now. So whether they're soft covenant breaches or hard covenant breaches, um, so many companies um, are now having to make um, put cash in to provide an equity cure when there's been those breaches, um, when those breaches have arisen. What we've also noticed is, which is quite interesting from, from borrowers, is that they're now focused on the refinance risk. So not just the existing debt, but what happens after the debt expires. So companies are beginning to look at that um, risk of where market rates are going to be in 6, 12, 18 months when they need to, to refinance the loans. What we're also seeing... Um, from a banking point of view, is that on new transactions, uh, which are which being brought to, to banks, there's a much greater focus on debt serviceability than there has been in the past. There's much more focus on interest rate cover covenants as well. Um, credit underwriters at, at banks are, are stress testing affordability at 2% above the forward curve for interest rates. Um, Decision-making process is much slower as well. So looking, trying to get a, a loan agreed with the bank, which might have taken, let's say, 12 weeks, is now taking 16, 20 weeks. There's been um, also much more tightening of credit sentiment as well. So the types of, of, of projects that banks will end against, it's, it's also much tighter. Not only in the UK, but also in, in Europe as well. There's a, a survey from the ECB um, late last year around credit. Um, and um, they've not, they, the ECB noticed that um, credit um, is much tighter in, in the Eurozone now than at any other time since the, the, the um, global financial crisis in 2007-2008. For cash-positive companies, um, there's been a couple of articles in the paper over the last while about NatWest. Um, they've just reported the biggest profits since 2008, and HSBC, who've announced that their quarterly profits have, have doubled. And both, uh, in both cases, you know, the, the big reason why rates, um, why profitability has improved, is because interest rates are higher and they've been able to widen out their, their interest rate margin. So, you know, what I've, I've found is that, you know, even though the base rate is at four percent at the moment. Many high street banks are still offering only, you know, one percent on on easy access deposits. And a very easy way to improve profitability is just to shop around and, and, and look to see what sort of um, deals are out there. For anybody who is cash positive, when they're making those decisions in terms of how they place their funds, there's a 
that concentrate off between security, making sure that the counterparty has good credit rating, liquidity, making sure that you can get access to your funds when you need them. So there's no point in locking away money for six months if you, you're going to need it in three, even if the rate is better. And then finally, you know, the return, what, what, what interest rate you're getting on, on those deposits you place with um, your preferred bank. Yeah, sure, that totally, totally makes sense. So what have you seen um, that clients are doing to manage this risk in the main? Hedging. We've seen a massive increase in, in hedging activity, you know, particularly in the middle of last year. Um, we're seeing clients being more strategic. So previously, interest rate risk was ignored. Now it's been elevated to, to a strategic concern. Um, we're seeing um, many companies look to use um, interest rate hedging as, as a means to increase the, the leverage in transactions. As I've mentioned previously, um, you know, banks are beginning to assess affordability by stress testing interest rates by you know, 2% above the forward curve. Um, stress testing is not required if there's a hedge in place, um, as the interest expense is, is, is known or certain. So borrowers are seeing a hedge as being a vehicle to increase debt capacity, as well as its traditional purpose, which is to mitigate risk. As I mentioned also, we've, we've also seen increased appetite to hedge, um, to use hedging to control refinance risk. Um, and we're also seeing companies begin to put in hedging policies. So incre- increasingly, clients want us to work with them to write hedging policies to guide their decision-making. Um, hedging policy will force a firm to make a conscious decision around the amount of interest rate risk they're prepared to tolerate and to take steps to address the situation when the risk is greater than the tolerance level stakeholders are prepared to accept. It's also a great comfort to staff transacting hedges on behalf of the firm as it provides them with a board-approved framework to operate within. So in terms of you know, a good hedging policy, some of the things that companies need to consider is you know, how much to hedge, 50%, 75%, 100% of the debt, for how long, the term of the facility, shorter or maybe even longer, what type of products they can use, um, what counterparty they should be using to hedge with, um, who can deal within the company, and finally, you know, what, what will happen if there's a breach of the hedging policy and needs to be escalated. Sure, sure. Okay, thank you, Martin. That's super helpful. So finally, what tips um, do you have for borrowers at this point in time? The first tip is just to take time to understand your risk. Um, model your cash flows under different scenarios flexing both income and interest rates so that you have a good, strong understanding of the conditions that would need to prevail to place strain on profitability or loan covenants. If you decide that a hedge is required, get proper advice if you don't have the skill sets internally to make that informed decision. A hedge is a commitment that often extends for three or more years and a wrong decision can affect performance for an extended period of time. Um, Important one, don't be afraid to negotiate on price. Like any product you buy, there may be some wiggle room in the initial price that a bank shows. You know, at VUCA Treasury, we have the same pricing models that banks use, so we know where the true price is. And we recently saved a client over £100,000 because they didn't realise that the bank would look to profit from the hedge, given that they were being charged an arrangement fee for loan as well as paying margin on, on the loan. So we, even if you don't have access to those pricing tools, it's worth pushing back anyway to see whether there's any flexibility there in pricing. It's important to also consider the cost to enter a hedge, the running cost of the hedge, and to cost to exit the hedge when looking to put a hedge in place. Look at things in the round. With the interest rate curve now inverted, so that means that shorter, ra- shorted, shorter term interest rates are higher than longer term interest rates, um, the temptation is to fix uh, for longer and pick up that initial benefit from the, the lower, longer fixed rate. For example, you know, a two-year fixed rate at the moment is 4.3%, but a five-year rate is 3.9%. The past may not be a good guide to the future, but in interest rate cycles previously, um, it has made more sense to avoid fixing um, when um, we're towards the middle or the end of a, of a tightening cycle because interest rates do come down and instead of being fixed at you know, 3.9%, 
products like a cap, for example, will allow you to benefit from floating interest rates while still giving you that same type of a, same type of protection. Um, as I've said, take time to put a policy in place. It provides that framework for a firm to manage risks and protect employees who are booking transactions. And finally, it's not too late to hedge. We sometimes hear potential clients say that they feel they've missed the boat. This is understandable given the pace of change in rates over the last 12 months. But one thing that we have learned over this period is that you never know what's around the corner. Rates have been a lot higher than this in the past. If you go back to 2007, the base rate was at 5.75 instead of the 4% level it's at at the moment. If the most appropriate course of action is to control your interest costs, there's still plenty of time to protect your business. Okay, thank you, Martin. That's really helpful. Thank you so much for coming in. It's good to see you again after a year, a year of change. Um, if you'd like to speak to Martin direct, um, please contact him on his website um, or speak to your usual Goodman Jones partner who will be happy to um, introduce you. Thank you so much.